Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You've got Logan Jones on this episode recording out of the Awesome Inc. studio in Lexington, Kentucky. And today we got to sit down with a really awesome Louisville entrepreneur. And she's been into all sorts of different stuff throughout the community. She's been a founder. Uh, she's been an investor. She now also works with UofL in their entrepreneurship and innovation uh, department. Um, so we sat down with Natalia Bishop. Uh, we got to have an awesome conversation just all about the things she's involved in. One of her common themes throughout all the things that she's done is just assisting founders, uh, making sure that underrepresented founders can have the same access to resources, to funding, just to the startup community in general as the rest of the startup community does uh, and, and change that paradigm about underrepresented founders. So we got to have an awesome conversation with Natalia just about her background and how everything has kind of led into her assisting those underrepresented founders. So uh, this is a conversation that needs to be had more. It's something that we're trying really hard here at Middle Tech uh, to get those people on who can have those conversations with us about uh, whether it be female founders or uh, black and brown founders or just underrepresented founders in general. Uh, it's something that we know is very important important and we're trying very hard to make sure that we have more of those conversations. So we hope you guys enjoy. Before we dive in, we just want to get a quick word from our sponsors. Middle Tech is presented by KY Innovation, the Kentucky Cabinet for Economic Development's Entrepreneurship and Innovation Partner. KY Innovation exists to support and develop Kentucky's startup ecosystem and we are proud to work alongside an organization whose mission aligns so closely with ours. If you're a founder building in Kentucky, you need to check out the resources that KY Innovation has to offer. You can find more information at kyinnovation.com. We are also sponsored by Bolt Marketing. As a business owner, you're forced to wear multiple hats, but you should be focused on growing your business while you let somebody else handle your marketing. Our friends over at Bolt offer a full suite of services from websites to branding that will help you transform your marketing and grow your business. To learn more about how Bolt can help you with your business goals, you can check them out at buildwithbolt.com. Again, that's buildwithbolt.com. Our next sponsor is the Johnson Law Group and Brandon Johnson. Brandon represents my startup and I've had great experience with them and works with companies from inception to billion dollar valuations. Whether you are trying to formalize a side hustle or bring new technology to market, the Johnson Law Group is willing to help by offering a free 30 minute consult. Schedule yours today at thejohnsonlawgroup.com and tell him that we sent you. All right, everybody, let's get into it. We are here with Natalia Bishop, uh, who is into all sorts of things. She is a founder. She's an investor. Uh, she's the director of innovation and entrepreneurship at UofL. Uh, and just uh, a big personality up in the Louisville startup ecosystem. Uh, so Natalia, thank you so much for joining us. We've been wanting to have you on for a while. So it's so great to finally uh, get to sit down and record with you. Well, thank you so much for having me, Logan. And I know we've been, you know, trying to do this for like two years now. So I'm really excited <laughs> hey. that we're finally here. <laughs> hey, you know what? Uh, all the best ones you have to you have to chase after a little bit. So it's all good. <laughs> well, uh, awesome. Well, let's start off by just kind of going over your background here real quick. So uh, just tell the listeners where you're from uh, and then professional background up to this point. Yeah, so uh, I am actually originally from Colombia. I've been here in the States for about 21 years now. So it's going it's going crazy. Um, and my professional background, so I started in uh, actually in retail, in corporate retail. Uh, I was doing that for a number of years prior to uh, leaving the war for as a first time mom. Uh, and then that was my first dive into entrepreneurship, uh, went from a creative entrepreneur to 
um, founding my first company, uh, a lifestyle company called Story, which you may or may not know as a co-working uh, entrepreneurial hub here in Louisville. Um, then launched a software company after that. Um, had a fun run with it. And um, then uh, now my my pathways have taken me into academia and, and investment. So that's a little bit of the background in, in a in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to dive into all those things because all of those things are uh, lots of learnings and experience packed into each one of them. Uh, but something that, you know, Evan and I were talking about after that intro call is, you know, it seems like you've really just been your own boss and been really attracted to, to that aspect of it. Uh, what does attract you to entrepreneurship and kind of the, the being your own boss lifestyle? So like I fought it with a passion <laughs> at the beginning because, <laughs> uh, you know, being a, a child of an immigrant and single mom, you crave stability, right? Like it's one of those things that you're like, I definitely just won like a check. <laughs> but uh, I think it's it's just, it's in my DNA. Like my entire maternal line is full of matriarchs that are hustlers and they do their own thing. And so um, I think that I, I do also, uh, I'm the kind of person that, thrives in chaos a little bit and and uh it's it's really comfortable with risk and instability so it suits me really well uh so uh i find the fast pace exciting and um you know it's it's a very different way of being i always think that once you as a as a as a founder like once you see it it, you can't unsee it, right? Like mm, then you're constantly sure. problem solving as you're driving down the street. <laughs> yep. So um, I, I crave that quite a bit. Yeah. It's a bug once you catch it. Um, even if you have just a little taste of it, it's like, it just starts consuming yeah. you. Um, yeah. so let's dive into, to one of the first kind of ventures you dove into that you mentioned there at the beginning, uh, and that's story Louisville. So just talk about how story came to be and, and what its origin is. Yeah. So the origin story for story is that we actually, as I mentioned earlier, I was a creative entrepreneur right after I left the workforce and, um, had my first kid. Um, I decided I wanted to do something that was meaningful to me that would like replace my income, but also allow me to be creative, which is something that I'm, I'm, I'm very, uh, very creative. Um, so what I decided to do was launch a photography business. And while I was doing that, um, it's awesome because you can do it from home and, you know, you, we had all this, all this uh, clientele that was super amazing and I had a great business. Um, and then after three years in, I, I was craving community. I was craving people that were doing things like I was doing. And so I started to meet other photographers actually out in Lexington. So it was more of a regional thing that we had going on, um, meetups and things of that nature. And I then decided, Hey, maybe I should open like a, like a cool studio, but you know, how do I do that with three or four people? So it can be like a really cool studio because it's expensive. Right. And so we put a whole bunch of, um, photographers together. There was like five of us at that point. And, um, we started bringing our, our customers in and we started talking about pricing and started talking about like, Hey, where do you get your suppliers from and albums and things of nature. So we instantly kind of noticed about a year in, um, all of our, like our incomes are just like, you know, blowing up. I, I tripled my business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so did some of the other photographers that were in there because you're, you're sort of, um, you know, there's this network effect that's happening. And 
then I was like, well, what happens if we do that? But with other people that aren't just, you know, photographers, maybe it's creatives of other, of other, um, like videographers and, and whatever. And then our clients, our internal clients were like, oh, this, could, this space is really cool. Could I work from here? Um, and so, you know, a thousand dollars or maybe it was like $3,000 and an Ikea trip later, um, we, we put like a little shingle on the door that said, hey, it's story, right? And so, um, that's really how it started. It, it, it was never meant to be about entrepreneurship or whatever. At that point, I didn't really know that world too much. I didn't really understand startup that world that, that much. Um, and, uh, and then just, it went from there. It was, it was a, a period in which, um, there was a lot of volatility in the startup ecosystem here I actually happened to, um, one of my clients happened to be uh, someone who, I don't know if you interviewed or not, but it's Madison Hammond, uh, who used to be with Blue Sky Ventures. Mm. Actually, he's still there. Uh, he used to be a startup founder himself and um, just an amazing human. And he was with 1804 uh, back when that was a thing. And so um, 1804 was a public-private partnership um, that was sort of like, hey, let's put some money into entrepreneurship in the region in a different way. And so he approached me and he's like, hey, you're doing this thing called co-working which I didn't even know what it was at the time, right? I had to Google it. And <laughs> it's like it's like 2015 in my defense. Um, and WeWork wasn't really like a thing. <laughs> but, um, you know, like I started looking at it and he said, what, what do you think about, you know, doing something like this, but for, for founders or entrepreneurs? And I was like, I don't understand what the difference is, like, right? And on the, like, he really kind of helped me grasp the concept of scaling businesses through technology. Um, at the same time, I'm like, why am I not doing this? Why did I not know about this, right? And so I'm like really deep diving into um, the more I was coming into the community, the more I was realizing that there weren't a lot of people that look like me or, or talk like me or, or whatever uh, in the community. So I was like, okay, this is a really cool um, space with a huge opportunity in our city. How do we make it? Um, how do we make it so that people feel like a sense of belonging when they're here? Uh, and then we launch lots of really cool stuff. So um, that's, that's essentially how a story came to be um, and an evolution, a snowball. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And what I kind of got from that story is that a lot of the, at the core of it, it's just about community. And I think that's what, you know, that's what I enjoy so much about the Louisville and Lexington and just this kind of region startup ecosystem is that the people who are involved in it, just kind of by nature of being from Kentucky, seem to be just so willing to help and so collaborative. Um, absolutely. And, and something that I think is awesome about Louisville is you guys just have beautiful co-working spaces. I mean, we've been <laughs> sorry to record a podcast before and you guys, the, the design of everything is just inspires creativity. And, uh, there's several others that, that we're pretty fond of as well. Um, but talk a little bit about how did COVID affect co-working for you guys? I'm sure that was a, a shock all at once. And then, uh, something you had to adapt to as time went on. That, that's uh, that's certainly true. And I think one of the things as you're bringing up community, one of the things that we knew we could do is, um, you know, really lean into that community um, and what does the community need versus us telling the community what they need, right? Um, because if you think about it, beautiful spaces are are awesome, um, but they're they're a commodity, right? And especially now, um, you can get great design pretty much in, in most co-working spaces, no matter what they charge, right? Um, and for us, you know, like co-working's always been a means to an end, right? It was never about the physical retail space or the hospitality of it. It was always about um, 
creating a sense of a tight knit community that allow you to belong and bring your best self to work and do the thing that you feel like you want to bring forward to the world, right? Uh, and meet other people and have non-transactional relationships. So we leaned really, really hard into the programmatic efforts. We said, what are we doing that people are craving? Why are people still here when they could be home? Um, so that was like the first step. When the second, like everything shut down, I actually happened to be in San Francisco uh, pitching for my my startup uh, in February 2020, like at the tail end. When they shut down, I was in San Francisco. So I came back home and I was like, the next day I was like, okay, this is going to get bad. I kind of knew just from a sense of what was going on. Uh, so we had like a week and a half leadway of knowing like this is going to be really, really tough. So um, for us, you know, when you're trying to sell a physical... <laughs> physical gatherings <laughs> and everything is just like you know the government is like no not today so it was it was interesting right to say the least to try to to juggle you know the uncertainty of how long is this gonna last and um you know the first thing we had to do uh was essentially we had a second space that we had to shut down um you know you go into cost cutting where can you you know where can you let go of certain things um what what we then had to do was take a look at like where are we able to continue to support our and for us we're selling community but we're also serving these people who are all small business owners who are all struggle struggling massively right so how do we continue to be compassionate how do we stay afloat like I, you don't know if you're gonna you know you don't know if your doors are gonna be open a week from now and you know, we had to make some really tough choices. Um, you know, we had to essentially like lay off everyone except except myself and Lauren Bankley, who's our CEO, um, for a for a number of months, right? Uh, and not knowing whether or not we we're going to be able to bring everybody back. You know, um, but what was really amazing was like our community showed up, right? A, a lot of our community members were like, "Hey, I know we're not going to use it, but I'm going to continue to pay you." Mm-hmm. Um, and we were doing like. Uh, COVID happy hours that were completely virtual for all of our like, you know, community members, yoga and meditation. And like, how do we help you stay your best? We brought all of our, you know, programmatic efforts that were for founders completely online, which allowed us to bring amazing speakers from like all over the country. You know, Arlen Hamilton, um, we did this amazing partnerships with like all of our um all like our own members were wanting to do stuff so it was a tough time but i think it was a time for growth for us um that really helped us shed all the things that we were like oh we don't really want to be doing that we want to be doing this so uh you know it 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 was terrible (laughs) i don't want to do that again ever but it did help us grow quite a bit and then once restrictions started to get lifted um last year we saw like everybody, basically everybody came back. We hit a huge surge at the beginning of this year. Once, you know, people are starting to get less, you know, um, resistant to, to gatherings and stuff like that. Um, so it has been really great, um, over the last few months for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys made it through and, and it feels like we're on the other side of it. So hopefully we don't, don't have to deal with anything like that again. Um, kind of, you mentioned there that, uh, right when COVID hit, you were out in, in San Francisco pitching your, mm-hmm. your other business. Uh, so let's dive into that a little bit. So level yep. up, um, mm-hmm. is the, the software platform that you were talking about. Tell us a little bit about what level up is and the problem that you guys are trying to solve. 
Yeah, so Level Up is actually, and I'll give you a little bit of an origin story to it here in a second, but Level Up is actually a platform helping women um, and connecting them and um, and also um, with education. So we started as a lifestyle business, a spun-off of story. Uh, it was a marketing ploy of like, how do we get people in the space, right? When when it was just IKEA tables <laughs> and, and, and nothing else. It was like, how do we... Uh, leverage our own network to, and it was when I say we, it was me and the the mouse in my pocket uh, of you know of, of of things and people that I know to really make make um, a community. Uh, I knew I wanted to focus on women because um, that's who was showing up to these classes. And what was really interesting was um, we had people that came alone and we had people that came in groups. So there was always a connection happening between them. And it just started to become really about community and then the empowerment that was happening. Um, you know, you had someone come in for a $35, um, like soap making class straight up. Right. Or, or maybe like a cookie decorating class. And then they realized, Hey, I can do this thing that I didn't know I could do. Right. It was something creative. It was something like low key, like not super high stakes, but then they would come for the budgets and bourbon class. And so now you have, you know, financial literacy in the mix. And then they would come for like, let's talk about your resume and the United States. So it was like, they were almost like graduating. Um, it took a lot of the risk away from saying, hey, I'm gonna do something for myself. Um, so we saw that pattern. We actually went into Lexington back in 2018 uh, and opened like a Lexington branch of Level Up. Um, and again, all of this was lifestyle in person um, and, one day I'm in the shower and I'm like, listen, how do I sprinkle some tech on that? <laughs> and, and, you know, this is as I'm learning about tech, right? And, and the power of software to scale things. Um, obviously, I'm not a technical founder at that point. So, um, but I heard of things like ClassPass. I was like, there is no reason I shouldn't be able to leverage my network and find someone to help me do this. So that started a journey. Um, and we were able to get a platform. And, and at that point, I hired a team and I had a co-founder and all these things. And um, and we were out in San Francisco pitching this lifestyle platform that would be in-person gatherings. <laughs> um, so we covered Obviously, a pivot was required, and so we we completely switched the platform over to um, virtual. Um, and so um, right now, uh, that is that is what it is. And so um, we have people that will take classes. So we actually had this happen, which I thought was incredible. We had a uh, a woman from Oregon um, teaching a soap making class. Um, a, a woman from India took set class, right? And then took another, it was like a $35 class, then takes a second class on how to start a business from a woman from Canada. And then I get an email from the person from India saying, hey, I'm now selling soaps. Um, thank you for, you know, $60 cool. later, I'm doing this thing that I didn't know I could do and I'm feeding my family. And I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, Yeah. Yeah. And talk about, uh, your, your experience fundraising. You mentioned you're out in San Francisco fundraising, yes. which seems to be a common trend for uh, people and founders in this region, starting to try and go out to the coast and raise. What was your experience like, uh, especially as a, as a female founder trying to mm -hmm. raise funds for your startup? So obviously timing is everything. Right, right, for sure. <laughs> um, I would say that to any founder that is listening to this and, and hoping for uh, for racing around, timing is everything. And, um, you know, we were at that point an ed tech platform uh, racing for a um, 
And the reason we actually went went to San Francisco was we were part of a global competition called Sogo. And with Sogo, there were 60 finalists, so we were one of them. Uh, so we were pitching that. And then we had a whole bunch of, you know, investors lined up. And, you know, it, it was it, it was difficult because of the uncertainty times at that specific point. Um, but more, more so to the fact that I already had a network, a pretty decent network built up due to my connections with story and so on uh, here locally. And it was still really difficult, right? And I think that's a story for everyone um, in the Midwest and not all of us, but like particularly in the region. Um, and, and you know that as well as I do, you know, it's just difficult. The terms can be a little tough. Um, still, even in, in, in 2022, we're still kind of fighting with convertible notes and stuff. And um, we're not quick enough as investors. We're not, you know, um, we, we do we do things a little bit, you know, a little bit slower than we shoot sometimes. Um, and so my experience was, um, I talked to 118 investors and um, got through the due diligence process a couple of times. Um, and then um, at that point, and I don't know that this makes any difference or not, but we were out, um, out of, you know, we had launched a product in May and this was like, you know, fall of 2020. Um, and, you know, we have over 5,000 users, almost $200,000 in revenue. Um, and, and we were doing really well at, for traction wise. And um, we just kept getting told, you know, I want to see what else you can do. I want to see what else you can do. And this is all in bootstrap, right? Mm -hmm. On a bootstrap um, sort of concept. So, um, you know, for me, it was, it was soul sucking and I hated it <laughs> to say the least. Um, I felt like there were, um, there weren't clear like metrics that, um, that really, um, you know, I feel like I could be like, okay, I'm pointing to the metrics you're telling me you need for traction. Why isn't this enough? So I got kind of tired of it and was like, okay, you know what? We'll just bootstrap <laughs> and sort of switch gears in, back into that. Um, but I found that there were roadblocks. And I'm now looking at this, now that I have the investor education piece and having gone through a lot of, 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 of other, you know, decks now, I haven't been an ER for as long as I have been an ER with Amplify, you know, I recognize that there were maybe a few points that I was like, okay, I'd give you this. But there were a lot of other points that um, I feel like were roadblocks that maybe are not intentional, but are there that are that make it significantly more difficult to get going, um, which is such a huge miss for our ecosystem, right? Uh, not just specifically for my case, but for anyone, right? Anyone trying to fundraise. So, um, you know, it's, I think I shared this with you. I was having a conversation with another founder, a founder of Color, and he was telling me, you know, he had to talk to uh, I think it was like 680 something investors. Um, and he, he did raise, you know, a significant amount of dollars. It, it was over $3 million. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that different, but for someone to have to talk to some, <laughs> 600 and something people, you know, we can't build companies. We can't continue to build companies that way because it leaves, it leaves your soul on the line. Right. And, and, and I know that being a founder is hard. It should be hard. You know, it is hard. Um, but it shouldn't, be it, we shouldn't be asking founders to 
to give themselves up in that way. That's not that's not creating healthy companies. That's not creating healthy cultures within the companies, which is then not going to give us great returns because we're terrible. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's my that yeah. was my experience, and and it's one that I hear a lot. It's not it's not like I feel like it's my isolated um, sort of experience, and no one else is feeling this. But um, I feel like even. Even with the level of connectivity that I have, even with the, um, you know, the level of relationship building that I have done, um, that was still an issue, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it, ma- sure. it made it tough. Yeah. Well, it makes a lot of sense then why and, and how you've moved into these roles that you're in now. Um, so let's talk a little bit about just this common theme of assisting founders. Uh, because it seems like that's a pretty common theme between uh, the director of entrepreneurship and innovation at U of L, and then also your position at Renew Ventures. Um, so let's start with with your position at U of L. Uh, just tell us a little bit about you know the work you're doing there and uh, the the holes you guys are trying to fill within the startup and innovation community. Yeah, I'm like I'm like a number two in the in the what is it in the empathy wheel or whatever it's called. I don't even know. <laughs> so it's like I'm always trying to you know uh, okay let's pull up right like let's like because I think one of the misconceptions is that you have to wait until you have an exit to really make meaningful change. Um, and I believe that too. You know, my plan was always like I'm gonna do this thing. I'm gonna sell this company for you know. A, shitload of money <laughs> and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to create a fund and then I'm going to do the thing. So that's like a seven to 10 year timeline. Right. And, um, and then I started thinking, I really don't actually have to do that. <laughs> I started observing the pattern in others, right. In in other, uh, emerging managers and, and just other funds being created that, you know, either had operators that had done it to some degree that just had the education. So I was like, well, do I have to wait? No, I really don't actually have to wait. Uh, I can do what I can build what I'm building and build the bridge right behind me. Uh, I don't have to leave a gap in between me doing the thing and actually uh, helping someone else. So um, that was the mindset. And so when the opportunity came uh, to to join the U of L team, the first thought was absolutely not. <laughs> Um, which not because I don't love U of L, but because of the person, again, we talked about thriving in chaos. <laughs> um, you, you know, when you're talking about um, being a part of an institution, uh, an amazing institution like U of L is that it has been around for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. It was scary to me. It was like, oh man, I don't know that I can do that. Right. Um, I don't know that that's the right choice for me, but the compelling argument that my dear friend, Ben Brino Weber, uh, brought to the table was, you know, Hey, here's, here's a pot of resources, um, that everything that you've been working to build, but didn't have the resources to do, you can now go into an institution, um, that has a need for someone like you, um, to come and build. So, um, I joined the team back in June of last year. Um, and we are part of the um, a beautiful partnership between Humana, the Humana Foundation, and then the University of Louisville. Um, we are calling it the Health Equity Innovation Hub. And so it's a, it's a whole bunch of acronyms at <laughs> the university. Um, but at the hub, our whole mission is to essentially um, help uh, our communities with health equity outcomes. And we're doing that through entrepreneurship and innovation. And so my role specifically comes in the way of um, 
a couple different things. One is um, entrepreneurship, right? So for that matter, I'm community facing in the sense that I am um, essentially working with startups that are either founded by founders of color or that are addressing health equity issues. Um, and that's defined as like basically anything that can affect your health food justice, right? Anything that helps with access to food, uh, transportation, uh, education, workforce. So, I mean, basically there's it's a big umbrella, right? Uh, so if you're working on something that is going to help address, um, you know, health equity, we want to hear from you. Uh, and then we're connecting them and leveraging resources that the university has, like whether it's first pilots, first customer pilots, uh, or, um, you know, as partnering as research, um, partners or um, actually, you know, uh, connecting them to access to capital, that kind of stuff. And I do some of that work through Amplify as well as, as an EIR. Um, so that's my community facing hat. And then helping identify organizations that are currently doing great work um, and creating partnerships with them and giving them dollars to be able to hit play in some of the things that they're doing. You have network and chill with, I don't know if you had Ricky Mason and uh, and Chris Red in here, but um, they're doing amazing work. You have Kella Ivonne with Protege doing mentorship programs for, you know, black and brown founders um, and, you know, all of this through Amplify as well. Um, and then um, and then I have a student facing side where we help students and faculty. Um, I'm really trying to sort of shift the culture um, so that um, we see more student startups out of the university, um, more faculty startups um, as well, and they feel supported and cared for and loved on. Uh, and then my personal favorite is access to capital because <laughs> we've talked about no, that, right? Sure. So um, really working on, you know, what it, what would it look like to have, um, you know, some some cool new things that I can't really talk about just yet, but maybe an angel network can hint uh, out of the university, maybe a fund, right? Like, what does that look like? Um, and so we're in this process of iterating and ideating and seeing what we can come up with. So Yeah, it seems like there's been a lot of conversation and uh, development going around universities starting to play more in the entrepreneurship ecosystem. And I think that's really exciting and important because there's already so much going on at universities anyway with things like research. And now to combine that with entrepreneurship and with the resources that the university already has, uh, I think that's just a powder keg of opportunity when you start tapping into that. Um, and one of the things that you kind of mentioned a few times here is your role with Amplify as well. And I want to just touch on that real quick. And, and I just want to ask you, so what's the, the role of Amplify within the Louisville startup uh, ecosystem? So um, Amplify is a public-private partnership, right? Um, it's state-funded and then um, privately funded through corporations and donors and that kind of stuff. And that's led by Larry Horn, who is an awesome human. If you haven't met him, you should meet him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, part of the work there, um, Kelly Bonia and I are both the um, entrepreneur and residents, uh currently. And the idea is that we help founders regardless of their stage, right? Um, So we essentially, uh, if you have any support needs whatsoever, whether it's like, hey, I need connections or, hey, I just had a thought. I wonder if this is viable, right? Anyone that's doing anything at scale, we meet with them one-on-one. Um, we help them with uh, connecting them and, you know, of course, you know, really just helping guide through some of those processes um, of what does it look like to validate your idea? How does financial modeling work, right? Business model cameras is like the basic stuff that um, you may sometimes not really know. Uh, And we get founders from 
the entire gamut. Like people that are more like idea stage. And then we've had founders that are way farther along that, you know, are just like, hey, I want to know how to how to get plugged into the ecosystem. How do you do that? You know, that kind of stuff. So um, that's the word there. Yeah, that's an important role to play in the ecosystem as well. It's just kind of being that that gateway into the community. It sounds like that's a lot of the role that that Amplify is playing. Um, and you kind of mentioned your role in your entrepreneurship journey and your role as a founder and getting, you know, your grand plan was to have this exit and then get into into capital. Um, and it seems like you found a different way to do that, uh, despite, you know, that plan not uh, not working out exactly like you wanted it to. So talk a little bit about Renew Ventures uh, and, you know, what the purpose of that fund is and what you'll be doing with uh, with them. You know, you knew I was going to find a hack. So I don't get there way quicker. Um, so, yes. Um, and, and, you know, and the exit and, and all of that is, is fun. And I think that I, hopefully that I pull a Calendly and I can make that work or a MailChimp. But really the, the, the idea of joining a fund that's a little bit farther along and coming in as a general partner for something that is more of a $50 million fund versus something I could have raised myself here, like a $2 million micro fund. Um, was, you know, it's still a learning process as an emerging manager. You have to go through a lot of, you know, how to build this thing. How do like, how do you put, how do you put together your, uh, you know, your, your fund structure and how do you do all these things? So some of that I did, um, you know, earlier in, in, in the year through Stanford has a, a wonderful emerging manager program that I was able to, to be selected for and, and was able to participate in. So you get some of that, like, okay, here's, here's the, here's the education, but now you go and do it. Right. And so, um, when the opportunity came up to, um, start having those conversations with, um, with Renew, it was very organic as well. Like we just met through some mutual friends and, um, and what they were building was something very different, um, you know, in a, in a space where it, the impact space and the uh, on the represented founder space is it's kind of murky. Like right? there's still a lot of like people that don't believe that companies in the year 2022 can make a huge impact and make a lot of money. Right. We're still kind of in that thinking of like impact should be nonprofit and and then, you know, for profit should be for profit. And you don't have to be Uber, right? You can be you can be kind. You can be Airbnb. <laughs> and so um, and still make a ridiculous amount of money. So, um, you know, I, I started having those conversations and and sort of thinking about myself. And there was a lot of imposter syndrome in there, Logan. Like for me, it was like, OK, I'm skipping a lot of steps. And does this look like you know, can I actually do this? Right. Can I, the, the most important thing is, can you deal flow? Can you source deals? Can you source your LPs? And, um, and can you manage your fund? Right. And so I'm like, okay, I have been doing this for the last five years of my life. Right. Like I have been, um, helping founders for this long. I have been supporting and creating community around that and connected them. You know, one of the things that I was looking at when I made the decision was our impact report for story and for the year 2021, um, you know, our, the people that were within our walls raised $17 million, which is a lot of money, right. And for, and for whatever kismet you want to call it, like it wasn't necessarily our actions, but it's what, what Petri dish we created, right. Um, that was sticky enough to, to, to do that. Um, and so I was like, okay, you know, there's something here and the premise and the thesis matches my internal, 
my internal, you know, compass and, and um, it is, you know, how do we put money into companies and founders really uh, into the hands of founders that um, are either a, a creating um, a massive impact in our world and, and want to change the world with their solutions or b come from underrepresented backgrounds that have been historically excluded and that are solving pain points for their specific needs, which is a huge opportunity if you think about it, right? Um, and so that's how that happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so speaking of, of underrepresented founders, because I want to touch on that too. We talked a lot about that on our, on our intro call. Um, what do you think the biggest challenge for underrepresented founders uh, in the startup scene is? Is it access to capital? Is it, you know finding the, the right resources to support them aside from capital, what are the things that, that uh, in your experience, are mm -hmm. the biggest challenges for them? So I think that, um, I think the capital one is for anyone. Right. I'm not, I don't think it's exclusive to, you know, your background or your skin color, or your orientation. Like it's just, it's everybody's struggle, but I think locally, I'm not going to say that nationally, there's money everywhere. Uh, so um, I think that is a, a local problem, uh, one we are hopefully solving and, and you know, we're, we're on our way. Um, but for specific to underrepresented, there is like another three layers <laughs> that kind of just lay on top of that. And there are some exceptions to these, like healthcare is an exception. I think if you're launching a healthcare startup here or a b2b SaaS, something like that you know then this is the perfect place to be and you're going to get pockets and you can see that in 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 people like uh julia reagan for example who's the founder of art exciting um who like raised you know a million dollars on two in two weeks <laughs> right like she's just amazing um and again you know there are some exceptions to this so that's not applying to everybody but I do think that for underrepresented founders, you have these other, you know, two or three layers of difficulty that may um, not be as apparent, right? Um, and they aren't always uh, capital related, like some of them are, right? Um, there's implicit bias and all those things that everybody knows about, so I'm not gonna like break, broken record say that. Um, but outside of those pieces, um, we, we have a narrative issue that we have to solve, like, you know, um, you know, if the horse that always wins the race is a blue horse, why would you bet on the green horse? Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a narrative issue, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's there's there's that's that bias. Um, and then um, we have a and this is just data. It's not me telling you this is we um, have a harder time um, recruiting technical partners. And so one of the biggest things that. You hear, especially at the early, early stage, right, when we're betting on a, on a back of the napkin idea is you're not betting on the idea. No one cares what you're building is the team. You're betting sure. on the team. Yep. Right. Um, and so if you have, you know, uh, people in your in your team that have technical chops that have done X, Y, Z, D before, those are the people that get invested in. And so we just have a, a harder time or maybe the focus isn't quite there. So we need some edu some education, some resources around that. Um, but to get those people, you need money. So, <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of uh, fun fun problems there. Um, and um, and I do think, you know, it's, it is it is a matter of um, representation as well, you know, on the other side of the table. Uh, and it doesn't start to have to be GPs because when you're talking to a fund, um, you may be talking to a principal that is, you know, let's call it a black woman, right? Um, that has lived experience with the problem then, but the, the phone line breaks when you get to a GP that 
um, that, you know, perhaps doesn't understand the problem, hasn't lived experiences with the issue and doesn't really relate to the solution. So I think some of those things can be fixed. I mean, all of it can be fixed, but I think that we can do some quick fixes. Um, we don't also, if that goes farther, that we don't have enough L women LPs, right, on the other side of the table. Uh, so then you can't really, you know, like you can't really hear any any feedback from your your fund as a as a fund manager because everybody sort of has the same makeup and um, you know those are things that we we can definitely fix and I think that it's a matter of putting more people out there uh, and taking we we have to kind of be undeniable as a, as underrepresented founders um, there isn't a there isn't a fail fast. Yeah. <laughs> it's don't fail. <laughs> it's, it's a different track, right? Because if you do fail, you are then, um, you know, affirming that which was the initial thought process. Uh, for me, you know, um, when I am in a room and I am the only whatever, female, immigrant, brown person, person with an act, whatever you want to call it, usually... I have this sort of sense of added first only different responsibility that I have to better represent. <laughs> yeah, better do really, really, really well. And so mental health wise, that's another layer that you have to think through. Um, so there are just other nuances to to it that sometimes, you know, get missed um, in the conversation um, to being a, you know, a, a, a historically underrepresented founder. Um, that not only need education, right? Because when we talk about what the solutions are out there right now, it's just like we're super, like we're being overeducated, and I don't just need education, I need dollars. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so uh, I need the um, I need the ability to fail, and so to not have to be that undeniable figure. Yeah. So that's one of the roles that we're really trying hard to play in this community is highlighting those underrepresented founders in, in any yes. way that we can and giving examples and trying, because you mentioned it there, it is like an unfair paradigm. You know, it's like anytime there's a failure and you reaffirm that this weird paradigm that shouldn't even be there in the first place, it makes it harder and harder to break through. So you have to really lift up and celebrate those, those underrepresented founders who have managed to get the funds, who have managed to have the successful mm -hmm. uh, business or have the successful exit. So, you know, with our platform, that's something we're, we're trying really hard to make a concerted effort to do here and, uh, you know, going forward. Um, so as we kind of wrap up here, we always like ending on, on a sort of forward looking statement. So, uh, as it relates to the Louisville startup ecosystem in this region as a whole, uh, where do you see things going into the next five to 10 years, uh, mostly in regards to, to underrepresented founders, you know, getting that support and getting, uh, getting the capital and all of that sort of stuff? Yeah, I'm like, hopefully optimistic. <laughs> I'm like really optimistic. I mean, I'm not optimistic by nature, but I do think that, you know, if you look at um, I remember when we first started story, and if you look at the way the gatherings look like, um, and you looked at founders beards now, right? That um, oh, that Logan uh, from Forecaster, the other Logan, <laughs> Logan and Stephen Platter yep. um, uh, put together, right? And it, they look different, right? And now, and um, our our panels look different. Our, um, and that's that's because the entire community is sort of like, okay, we got to do something here. Um, in, in, and it's 
a, a unanimous concerted effort. Um, so I do feel like we are starting to um, go into the right direction and really think through, you know, what do we want to leave behind for our people, for our kids or whoever. Um, and so I feel really good about that piece. I think that also um, I will say that what we cannot do, we absolutely cannot do, um, and what we can do, in fact, is if you're listening to this in your car or like whatever, whoever you are, wherever you're listening to this, um, like you sound so cheesy. You have the power, <laughs> but you do, you have the power to do something. Uh, you don't have to wait until the exit. Like don't, don't wait until you do, you know, uh, until you're seven steps down the road. Like, right. Like if you're a founder, you have the ability to help other founders simply by mentoring, right? Like, and there's no one better to teach you how to do something that someone who just did it. Right. Um, so, um, Take some time, take an hour. I know it's annoying stuff, trust me, but can you take an hour out of your month, out of your week to sit down with a with a black or brown person um, that is doing it? I'll, I'll introduce you if you're looking for a pipeline, right? Uh, Larry would introduce you, there's so many people. Um, so I think that I see more and more um, this sort of sense of like, we have to get behind each other as a community. Um, I'm really optimistic about it. I think there's um, more dollars than ever in our community and that those dollars are hopefully flowing in the right direction as well um, to all kinds of different founders doing really cool stuff. So I, I'm feeling good about it. I love that. Well, uh, <laughs> before we let you go, um, we always like giving our guests a chance to, to plug where listeners can learn more about them or reach out to them or learn more about any of their companies. So if there's any places you'd like to, to send our audience, um, let us know. Absolutely. So if you are in the ecosystem and you're building something for health equity, then please, please, please reach out to us at the hub. Um, you can, it's my first name and my last name, natalia.bishop.lul.edu. Um, we want to connect you. We want to give you resources. We want to research with you. Let's build something cool together. Um, so that's one. If you are a founder um, and you need some help, and support with your startup. Um, you don't know what to do next. You need a connection. Amplify is the way to go. We have also a really cool mentor uh, site that um, our um, our amazing Jen Callahan has built. So go in there, ask for help. There's subject matter experts, all kinds of really cool people. You can also go to Story. Uh, no, no shame plug or whatever. <laughs> um, because if you are in person and you just need a tribe, we're here for you. Uh, so go see us at uh, storylevel.com. And then lastly, if you need money, <laughs> if you need capital, and like I say, you're building something with impact, or you are um, in the process of building something, you're a founder of color or a historically underrepresented founder, um, we will be deploying capital hopefully in the fall. And um, we really, really want to uh, work with you and hear what you're building. So you can email me natalia at renewvc.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on and uh, sharing your perspective with us and talking about all the awesome things that you're into. So we're looking forward to uh, continuing to watch the impact that you're making on the startup ecosystem. Thank you, my friend, for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs>